Hi, everyone. This is Brooke James. Welcome to The Grief Coach. If it is your first time listening, I'm so happy to have you. And if you've listened to us before, welcome back. You can find us on social at the underscore grief coach and online at www.thegriefcoach.co. Today, I am really excited. We have with us Amber Gentry, who's the founder of Health and Discovery. Thanks so much for being here, Amber. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you about this. Yeah. So if you could introduce yourself to the audience, give them a little bit of story and what Health and Discovery is, and then we'll get started with our conversation. Sure. So I am a health coach and a health coach is different from a nutritionist in the sense that when I am coaching my clients, I understand that the physical, social, psychological, and spiritual aspects of our lives are all intertwined. So the foods that you're eating are directly connected to the way that your mind is functioning. And your spiritual practice absolutely has a function in your physical body. So whenever I'm coaching my clients, we end up working together on nutrition factors, but also the psychological factors behind what you eat and the social relationships that are entwined in that. It's very fascinating. My background is in psychology. And as I was coaching um, different people and counseling, I found that there are aspects of their physical body that they were not addressing that were causing psychological ailments, if you will. So I went back to school at the the Institute of Integrative Nutrition and got a degree to be a health coach. And so now I love getting to really dive deep with my clients into all of the motivations and um, all the ways that the mundane things in our life and building into the monumental. Amazing. The, The reason we connected is because in my own experience, noticed a lot around food, both when my dad was sick and then afterwards of how much people bring you and how do you feel based on what you're eating and how you're moving. And so we got connected through a mutual friend. And I think that there's a huge relationship with both our personal, how we feel with food and appetite and grief, but then also one of the first instincts so many people have after they experience a loss or are wanting to take care of someone who is experiencing a loss is that they want to bring them dinner. And so often it is a casserole or pasta or cookies or scones. And I just remember when my dad was in hospice, people were bringing all of this food that I felt like I was going to feel like I already felt so emotionally drained and exhausted. And if I ate all of this big, heavy food, well, sometimes it was like super comforting and delicious. Like it wasn't a good thing for me to be eating every day. So if you could talk a little bit about your thoughts on why we want to take care of people that way. It is so interesting, isn't it? I am Italian by heritage. And so it is ingrained in me that food is love. French on the other I would guess that pretty much every culture understands that food is love. And especially in a grieving time where you're wanting comfort, people are wanting to show their love in any way that they can. And on one hand, this is so beautiful. And this Mm -hmm. is something that maybe diet culture has tried to erase Mm -hmm. the truth and the goodness that food is comforting. It's supposed to be. There are 
enzymes in food that interact with the bacteria in our gut and the neurons in our brain and the hormones in our body to make us feel comforted. And so this should not be avoided. Instead, Mm -hmm. embrace this tool, this physical tool for a physical body in a time of grief that we can use. But for sure, the foods in America (laughs) (laughs) to comfort one another are very funny. My mom (laughs) brain tumor when I was in high school. And I remember uh, friends, we were living in Texas at the time, would bring so many casseroles. And that was not our uh, family's eating habits. We ate more pasta than casseroles. And I was just so confused as to why, you know, cream of chicken soup was being used in every recipe. But so I can totally <laughs> your experience, Brooke. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's so interesting that you say that about the chicken soup, because, you know, I really felt the same of like, the things people were bringing were so heavy. And I don't know if that is unique to America because I, I think you're really right. Like food is love and that's why we want to take care of people. And it's a way to put effort in and like give someone a beautiful meal to help nourish them. How do we actually nourish people with those enzymes, with those vitamins? Like I remember I had a group of girlfriends and they sent chicken and vegetables. And then I had one other family friend who they sent a roast chicken, roasted carrots, and then also cookies because cookies are delicious. I remember distinctly that it was the first meal that someone had sent like that. And it was someone who had lost his dad a few years earlier. So I think he probably knew the type of food people were bringing. Yes. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Like people tend to bring really meat and carb heavy foods. Mm-hmm. Are typically, they seem the most comforting because they're celebratory foods. People in cultures that live the longest, they really only eat meat in celebratory occasions. In our culture, that's become a really everyday affair. And so, of course, people are associating those two things, whether they realize it or not. And so they're probably going to bring carb heavy, meat heavy, creamy foods. Mm-hmm. But really what need in a time of grief is to support our microbiome, which is the inner ecosystem that lives in our gut. It's billions of bacteria. We have more bacteria in our gut than we have cells in our body. And those bacteria communicate with our brain and actually produce serotonin and actually boost our immune system. They're really amazing. And you want to be able to support those good bacteria, especially in a time of grief, so that you can support your body's physical processes that will boost your mood. And the best way to do that is with fiber-rich foods. Most processed grains do not have a lot of fiber. Even like the chickpea pasta that is so well-intentioned, the fiber is really low. Meat (laughs) does not have fiber. So instead, things like those roasted vegetables that you were talking about, or beans and lentils, even sending a fruit salad would be so loving because it's full of fiber. It's uh, full of the phytonutrients that your body needs to feel energized because those are the things that you need in that moment. You need energy, you need your mood boosted, you need comfort. And so typically what I would recommend is moving towards a fiber rich warming food or a comforting celebratory, lots of fruit and sweetness Because typically people also will go towards sweet foods when they want comfort. And that's actually interesting biologically because sweets give us quick energy, whereas Mm -hmm. 
and fiber give us sustained energy. And I'm sure that all of you are listening as you experience grief, your energy levels are really low. And so it makes sense for our bodies, our physiology to then gravitate towards foods that are going to give us that quick energy. But instead of going towards the cookies and the pasta and the croissants and the challah bread, you know, choosing like apples and berries and pineapple and those types of foods will give us what we need biologically and emotionally. Yeah. And that's not to say that you can't have sugar, you can't have carbs. And I love if I think now might be a good time to tell the story that you told me about um, how you and your son bonded over food and cooking after you experienced the loss. Yes. So I have three kids. My oldest is 13. My middle guy's 11 and my youngest daughter is nine. And my 13 year old is in eighth grade. And this year he experienced the death of a classmate and it was very sudden and so tragic. You guys may have heard about it in the news. His friend who passed away was on SNL. She basically had lived a full adult life in her 13 years. She was an incredible, incredible person. And she died suddenly of a asthma-induced heart attack. So he called us from school and he was crying. And so, of course, we came pick him up and bring him home. And the first thing that we did was make homemade chocolate chip cookies. And I know just like as you just mentioned, they may seem counterintuitive to all the tips I just gave. (laughs) In that moment, he needed connection and he needed to be grounded to culture and heritage and traditions and relationship. And so we came home and we made my grandmother's chocolate chip cookie recipe that I've been making for him since he was born. And that has always been a really special treat in our home. Just as a reminder that life is still good. We can still experience beauty. Uh, We can still taste sweetness, even in a time of great grief and sadness. And I think that this experience in particular was, there was a depth to it in a different way than maybe picking up a sleeve of Oreos and eating them in front of the TV. You know, and I, I think like cooking is meditative, you know, and like using your hands. I love the word you use of grounding you. I think that that's so important. And in that moment probably made a really big difference. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) And I think now, so we're recording this, it's the first week in April and we're both in New York Mm -hmm. and because of coronavirus, we're recording over uh, Zoom And I've found for me, the act of cooking and chopping vegetables and making, you know, tomato sauce from scratch or like whatever it is I'm making, that it's so meditative and grounding to that art of preparing your own food and following a recipe. And it's a way to get off my phone so I'm not experiencing this inundation of news and I think you know similar we talked about the first time we spoke that I really liked to be cooking when my dad was sick and I had friends who were sending groceries to our house and so then I could cook yes that is so beautiful yeah just to see that um food is not just a source of fuel but it is a source of creativity and beauty. 
I think that's amazing. Yeah. And I'm seeing that all over Instagram now, especially with COVID-19 being the topic of conversation constantly. I'm seeing so many people cook at home and it's so therapeutic. And I'm finding, I don't know if you're seeing this too, that people are like apologizing on their feeds for posting so many pictures of food. (laughs) But everyone's just going back to the basics and making dinner for their families and seeing that this simple act is so comforting and so grounding. And it also brings, like you said, a meditative moment for the person who is cooking and a really tangible expression of love to those who are going to be eating that meal that I care. I've taken the time and the energy and it, it just brings a a relief, I think in a time Mm -hmm grief and confusion, to have that consistency and that groundedness. Absolutely. I have had the feeling of like, am I posting too much? Like, do people care? But like, I'm not going anywhere. So like, this is the content that people are getting, you know? Yes. Yeah. So fascinating. Yeah. And then if I think with the coronavirus and with grief to pivot a little bit or to go a little bit more in there because you know I think when this comes out in a few weeks we will still be deep in this new phase of our reality of how if you could share anything about how you're viewing this change in your routine the new normal anything like that yes Thank you for asking that. I think that is such an important question. We're all, we're really living in this, like you said, it is a new normal and it's different and it's challenging. And I think that part of the new normal, what it does is it reveals habits that you have. And it also reveals untruths that you have been believing and then walking in that are guiding you in a way that you really didn't want to go in the first place. When I say untruths, I mean things that are so close to the truth, but are ending up just taking you off course a bit. They're not quite the truth that you want to be believing. So Mm -hmm. first habits, this new normal is revealing a ton of things. I feel like people are seeing how much they didn't cook at home, how much they didn't know how to cook with plant protein. They didn't realize how many times they would only cook the same meal when they were cooking. So they're super bored <laughs> with their own home cooking because they didn't have variety and they didn't have the tools. And with that, you have the opportunity to then say, what do I want normal to be? If this is a new normal, but it's not forever, but I want to build new habits in this moment, in this newness that will serve me going forward and will bring a better normal in the future what can we do now? So I think that there's such a great opportunity to see food as a creative outlet and to appreciate various flavors and um, textures and variety that we can create in our own home. And that a lot is just tapping into the plant variety that we have available to us, which is so vast and kind of going back to our ancestors in a sense, our ancestors would eat so much more plant variety that we do now. And a lot of that is just out of habit. So just bringing in new things in a time where things are not normal, it's a new normal, can be really empowering and can propel us into a future that looks more like the future that we want. And then secondly, just it reveals the untruths that we've been believing. For instance, one untruth that I feel like I'm seeing in the midst of this is people thinking that 
produce goes bad really quickly. And I think that this is maybe also a reason why when people are grieving and you're bringing food to someone's home, you don't bring a lot of fresh produce because you're not sure when the person's going to eat that meal. Maybe they're going to stick it in the fridge. Maybe they have eight casseroles already. They don't want it to go bad. Mm-hmm. But actually, produce will last if you store it correctly for two to three weeks. And that's how people before there was such a plethora of food available to us would have healthy and fiber-rich vegetables and fruits available to them throughout times of not plenty. So for us to kind of embrace that truer truth that fresh produce will last for a long time will both make propel us to give it more. <laughs> and instead of given, giving something like a freezer meal or frozen vegetables, but something that's fresh and roasted or um, in a soup form or lots of chopped herbs, all these things that can actually last for a while. So that's an untruth that I think can be corrected in our mind during this time, that fresh produce can for sure last you 14 days of quarantine. And it can definitely last in someone else's fridge when you're wanting to help nourish them during a time of grief. Those are some immediate thoughts. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Brooke. Yeah, I went to the grocery store on March 10th. And I know that because I wasn't feeling well and started feeling symptoms on the 11th. I bought like potatoes and root vegetables because I was like, those will last. And like apples will last a long time in the fridge. And if you take your herbs and make them into a pesto or something like that, they will last longer. And I just feel like I was like, okay, how do I get creative? Because I do feel better when I'm eating fresh vegetables. And how do I make it when like, I don't really feel safe going outside more than I need to. So I don't want to be running to the store a lot. Now we have access to frozen vegetables. So I bought some of those and have just been trying to make things that will stretch. Last night, I made uh, like kind of a taco salad situation with black beans that I had and like cauliflower rice from the fridge or the freezer, pardon me. And then I have like some chickpeas that I'm going to do a chickpea stew with. And I think it just like it is a little bit more challenging. But if you're looking at it now as a creative project of how can you create new things based on what you have in your pantry, it's kind of fun. Totally. And even to see the wealth of plant protein that's available. I know that like getting meat during this time is kind of expensive and it is in general, if you end up really, you know, digging into your grocery store receipts, animal protein is going to be the most expensive thing that you have that you're purchasing. So to be able to really embrace plant protein and all of the fiber and phytonutrients that are in there, like you said, like the chickpeas and the cauliflower rice and those beans and the mushrooms and kale even has a ton of protein. Those things are great to start adding in all the time. And it just creates a better, better new normal. Yeah. And even like if you put greens in a Tupperware with a paper towel, they last like three times as long as if you don't have the paper towel in the Tupperware. So I think that people can nourish themselves and they just need to like put more thought into it than we're used to. And so that goes back to our new normal. And I love what you said, I think it was before we started recording about, you know, how are we all dealing with these tiny deaths 
And one of those is convenience of being able to easily go to a restaurant or not have to worry about ordering takeout or not have to worry about going to the grocery store. And now I think we just have to be a little bit more strategic. How do we do that? Yes. Yes. So I know I love that you have this podcast on grief because I don't feel like it's something that we talk about very often. It's something that we like to avoid because it makes us feel all the feels. And those are hard to feel. But we experience tiny griefs, these tiny deaths, like you said, constantly. And especially during this time, we're experiencing lots of tiny deaths in the form of disappointment or hopes that are not going to be realized or routines that are not the same anymore. So you're lacking or you're wanting for things that typically you'd be able to get in a moment's notice. And this is part of grieving. And I think for us to be able to build our grief muscles with these tiny deaths is really important for when we experience really immense loss. So the way that we handle tiny griefs throughout our day just in the mundane parts of our lives will then enable us to be strong when monumental things bring us grief. Mm -hmm. And in those ways, let me think of a couple of examples. We were chatting before we started recording about how people, it seems like, are really going towards self-medicating during this time and trying not to feel the feels and instead um, watching copious amounts of TV or drinking more alcohol than they would normally because it just feels uncomfortable and it feels sad and it feels wrong because all of those things are true. It is uncomfortable. It is sad. It is wrong for there to be this horrible disease ravaging our country. And there is an opportunity for us to dig into those feelings instead and feel them wholeheartedly. Embrace it as something that is happening now so that it doesn't create trauma later. And in that moment, be able to nourish ourselves physically, socially, psychologically, and spiritually instead of um, trying to stuff that grief down or brushing it aside. And I think that a lot of the practical things that we already talked about as far as physical It's helpful socially to be able to share things like meals with one another. I know most of us are quarantined during this time, so to be able to share a meal over Zoom is kind of a funny thing. But Mm -hmm. it also gives a greater appreciation for the fact that that is a constant for most of us in our lives, to be able to share meals with one another. It brings a greater depth of thanksgiving for the things that we do get to experience. I know so many people who are like, it's so silly, but I can't wait to just go to a crowded restaurant or go to a bar and sit with my friends and be with people while you're eating. And that goes back to that, like food is love and food is comforting. And it's a way for us to share time together and is often the vehicle for us doing that is to sit down and nourish ourselves both with food, but also with people we care about. Yes, it is beautiful. Is there anything else that you think we should cover as far as like nourishment and grief nourishment and coronavirus? Anything that I feel like we covered a lot, but is there anything that we missed? Yeah, I feel like there are a couple recipes that I'd love to share or ideas and then we'll post some recipes through links on your website, I'm assuming. Yes, 
like you said, you mentioned some meals that were really helpful for you that your friends and family brought whenever you lost your dad. It was like roasted vegetables and the grilled chicken or groceries that someone just bought so that you could create yourself. Someone's not um, choosing for you. You get to choose what you're going to cook and how you're going to cook it. That sense of control in times of grief is often really helpful. And that sense of being able to create is also really helpful. So as I was thinking through recipes that would be wonderful to pass on to friends during this time and in more monumental grieving moments, comforting foods that are warm, rich in fiber and contain healthy carbs are what our body wants. We want something that's warm and comforting. Our body's always craving those carbs because we want energy and we need fiber. So we have that sustained energy. And so you can also be nourishing the good gut bugs that you have that are communicating to your brain and producing that serotonin for the happiness that you want. And so a few things that I thought of was I have an incredible lentil soup recipe that I will pass along to you guys that is so rich and comforting. It has a lot of red wine in it. So it's this great depth of flavor. I know that a lot of people, whenever they're grieving, it's like they can't taste food anymore. You know, I think this is something that we mentioned previously, that some people eat in excess to comfort themselves and some people eat less because they just don't taste it anymore. Or it's like from a place of anxiety. I think when we talked about this, the first time we spoke, like, I kind of lost my appetite when my dad was really sick. Whereas like there was another family in the member in the house who, and I like ended up losing weight and there's another family member in the house who like gained a bunch of weight. And I think we all just have kind of a different relationship with it. Absolutely. Yes. Like you address that weight loss crowd, the crowd that's anxious and ends up eating less and food. You just can't even taste it anymore to be able to go towards food that are sensory in another way, which is why I mentioned the warming foods, things that are really crunchy, maybe if the flavors are not attractive to you in that grieving moment, the sensory experience of crunching is really helpful to like bring you into the moment of like, I'm existing right now. I'm feeling this feeling in my mouth and kind of bring you in to your mm-hmm. own self. And then organized in a lot of ways in diet culture, but our body really needs them and they're super comforting. So focusing on carbs that are also full of fiber is super helpful. All those fruits that we talked about before, the vegetables we talked about before, and the legumes and beans that we already mentioned, all those are carb-rich foods that are going to give you the energy that that you need in the moment and also the sustained energy. And like I said before, I'm Italian and French, so all I want in my life is an incredible pasta a la vodka and a giant croissant that's fresh baked. And don't deny yourself, like honestly, but instead of denying yourself, focus on how can I have the very best thing in this moment? If you're someone who craves croissants like me, get the very best croissant in your city. Don't settle for a croissant that has a thousand preservatives in it. That's not going to do it for you. Instead, treat yourself and remind yourself that life is good. It tastes good. It feels good. And you can enjoy things even in the midst of grieving. And that brings about a lot of comfort. So that's what I would say. Eat all of those really fiber-rich and healthy carbs. And also in a moment where 
you are craving that pasta and the croissant or whatever it is for you, make sure it's the very best thing that you can find. I think that that's really true of like, how do we get good quality where it's available? And that makes such a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. And again, listeners, we will be posting on the Grief Coach blog some recipes that Amber is pulling together of how do we nourish ourselves or nourish people we care about in hard times. And thank you so much. I feel like it's something people don't talk about of how grief and food and appetite are really related. Um, But I think that they really are. So I'm really glad that we got to talk about this. Yes. Thank you, Brooke. I feel so honored. It's been wonderful to chat with you. And I hope that this helps so many people who are going through tiny deaths and monumental deaths in their life. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you again. And then do you want to tell people where they can find you online? Yeah, sure. So you can find me at healthanddiscovery.com, two Ds, healthanddiscovery. And also on Instagram, that's really where I live. And my healthanddiscovery discovery. Okay, perfect. All right. Thank you again. And thank you everyone so much for listening. You can find us on social at the underscore grief coach. You can find us online at www.thegriefcoach.co. I would love if you went and rated and reviewed and subscribed in the Apple podcast uh, app. And thanks everyone for listening. I'll talk to you soon. everyone. Before we get started today, I want to talk to you about our newest partner, BetterHelp. Throughout my own grieving process, I have found therapy to be critical in getting me to the point where I am today, and I truly cannot imagine getting through this past year without it. Uh, A lot of the world is still in some sort of quarantine or phased opening and BetterHelp is a perfect platform for accessing therapy during this time because you can do it from wherever you are. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with a licensed professional therapist and you can have your first session scheduled in as little as 24 hours which is huge. I know for a lot of people, you hit a roadblock in starting therapy because there's a pressure to really find the right fit. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. It's really easy to change a counselor if you feel like you want a better fit. The therapist you're matched with is available weekly, but you can send messages anytime through the app and get responses between sessions, which makes such a big difference, especially when you are processing a loss. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and they also have financial aid available, which I love and is one of the reasons that I decided to partner with them. We have a special offer for the Grief Coach listeners where you'll get 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com slash thegriefcoach. That's T-R-Y-B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash the grief coach. 
You can join over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of experienced professionals. Investing in yourself is so important. If you've listened to any of the previous episodes, you know how much I prioritize doing the work to get through the grief process and BetterHelp is a wonderful platform to leverage to do so. Go to trybetterhelp.com slash thegriefcoach to get started.